Thank you for streaming the audio messages of the Fountain Church. I'm excited for this morning. I really believe it's it's a message that um, is going to stir us in a, in a lot of different ways. It's very simple, but I, I feel like it's it's something that Jesus wants to speak to us this morning. And I want to talk to you uh, around the subject of a second chance, a second chance. Look at your neighbor and say second chance. Look at your other neighbor and say I'll give you a second chance. All right. Would you pray with me, Heavenly Father? Lord, as we dive in today, um, Lord, I just thank you that we can enjoy the journey because Jesus is alive. Lord, I know all of us are going through different uh, avenues and aspects of life. Some of us are on the mountaintop. Some of us are struggling in the valley. But no matter where we're at, you're always ready to meet us. And so, Jesus, we came here today not to do church, not to play church, not to go through a religious routine on a Sunday. But we came here to meet with you. And God, I pray that we would encounter you in such a way, God, that we would never be the same. That those who came here looking for hope would find it. Those who are discouraged would be uplifted. Those who are soaring in the heavens would be able to soar a notch above. And God, that you would uh, just have your perfect will and way um, as we worship you by opening up your word this morning. God, we love you. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said? Amen. 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 Well, many of you guys know we had the privilege of going to Disneyland on vacation uh, a couple of weeks back, and I think this picture kind of describes our vacation the best. And uh, so much love, so much fun, and uh, we, just, we just had such a blast. But we ended up going to Disneyland on a Tuesday, and that's where everybody told us the crowds would be a little bit less, a little bit, you know. I don't know if Disneyland's never, ever not crowded because it just seemed to be packed. But, uh, but we, had, we had a great day, but we really didn't think so much about our day. We prepped our food and we did all that good stuff, but we were so excited to get into the park, we really didn't map out or make a lot of decisions of how we were going to tackle the day. And so if you don't have a plan at Disney, you're going to get beat up. <laughs> and so we, we got into the park and we were having a great time. Uh, this day was Pastors Chris and Lauren and, and uh, Pastor Nikki, and we were just having just such a great time. But we only got on four rides that day for us. Uh, we saw a couple of parades, which was really, really incredible. Uh, Lauren got us some front row seats, which was, which was great. So we had a great time together. But we left Disney, at least Jackie and I did. As great as the day was, we kind of felt like we got defeated by Disney. <laughs> we felt like we walked away with only four rides. Are you serious? Just kind of like Disney whooped us and gave us a run for our money. So we weren't sure if we wanted to go back. Uh, So the next day we went into Los Angeles, ate some good food together and just had some fun. And it was all good times. But Thursday came around and we had to decide what are we going to do. And so we decided we're going to do it again. We're going to go. How many guys are grateful for second chances? So we said we're going to go to Disney again. But this time we're going to make some different decisions. We're going to have a plan. And I'm happy to say that on Thursday... That we may have been defeated on Tuesday, but we dominated on Thursday. And we got a lot of tips and tricks from our, uh, we had a Disney uh, small group, believe it or not, uh, who gave us, some people from that group gave us some tips. And some on our welcome team gave us some tips. And, and we left the park. We went on over 20 rides. And we left with 14 fast passes still at midnight. It was just, it was just such an incredible day. Such an incredible time. 
But I'm so grateful for second chances. So we, we ended up uh, doing a timeshare presentation because I was going to preach over the weekend. And, I, and rather than staying at my buddy's house, they said that if we went through the timeshare presentation, we get two free nights. So how many of you guys know 90 minutes is worth two free nights? And so we went to the timeshare presentation and simply said, no, 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 no. Got our two free nights. In, in a sister in a sister resort, and uh, so we were staying there, and we ended up finding uh, two hypodermic needles where our kids were playing inside our hotel room. And uh, we didn't panic or anything like that. It was probably insulin or something. It didn't look, you know, very bad. It, I, I guess it's bad. Uh, <clears throat> so we told the hotel, and we let them know what was going on, and they profusely apologized. And the general manager called us into her back office and said, listen, Will you give us a second chance? Will you let, let us, you know, bring you back? The stay will be on us. I thought for a minute, hmm, yes, we'd love to do that. <laughs> and, uh, and I think all of us can appreciate a second chance because all of us know how it feels to make wrong decisions. All of us know how it feels to make a decision where we're, we're thinking afterwards, oh, or after we've caused a lot of damage and, and kind of a, a trail of carnage, we look back like, oh. And some of the people we dragged through some of those bad choices. Let me, let me show you a couple of pictures of some bad decisions. This is, uh, this is Fountain Church. This is how we do remodeling here. Uh, just kidding. Uh, how, many guys know, how many guys know that's not a good decision? That's a lot of wood on top of a rabbit. It's not going to go very well. But let me, let me show you another guy. He, he, I think he didn't make the best decision. He's trying to fix his AC. And that's one way. That's one way to fix your AC, but that's probably not the best because you're up high and it could fall. So he gets another plan. Let me show you what his other plan was. That's a great plan. <laughs> Just not good decisions. And so we start to ask ourselves this question. We all know how it feels to make bad decisions, but how do we rebound in the midst of? Like some of us today, whether you're a follower of Jesus or not, we all know how it feels to make bad decisions. Some of you guys are in the very threshold. You're at the very threshold of making a bad decision. Some of you guys are right in the thick of it. You know you're just messing things up with some of the decisions that you're making. So how do we rebound? How do we rebound after a loss? Because a loss feels pretty bad. How do we rebound after we feel like this? Let me show you. How do we rebound after we feel like this? How do we do it? I don't know. I don't know. How do we rebound after a loss? Come on, go, warrior. God, Moses says in Exodus that God is a warrior. Um, but we're going we're gonna to learn from a man today that's going to help us know what it means to rebound when you're making some poor decisions. And this man uh, it, it, that we're going to talk about, he, it, it's a true story found in the Old Testament. Uh, Jesus validates that it's a, it's a very real story. In Matthew chapter 12 and 2 Kings um, also validates that this person was a real person. It wasn't a fairy tale. It wasn't some mythological um, belief back in the day. And his name is Jonah. Um, Jonah is a man in the Old Testament that a lot of times is known for his bad decisions. He's made some, some pretty poor choices. Let me just kind of give you a context of the beginning of Jonah's life and on the way to where we're going. So, so Jonah was called by God as a prophet to go to the city of Nineveh and to preach. And Jonah didn't want to do that. You know, what was so amazing, Jonah knew that if he went to Nineveh that the people would repent from their sins 
turned to God, that God would have mercy on them. And Jonah was not about to have that. Matter of fact, Jonah was so appalled against that because these people were pretty brutal to his people. Jonah was probably battling uh, some racism. He was battling the pain of families that have been brutally murdered by these people. You see, Nineveh was the capital of Assyria at the time, and, and the Assyrians were just brutal. They, they used a lot of force to rule like Rome did, and, and they were tyrants in the, in the way that they operated. And so Jonah was like, you want me to go where? And I can understand his pain and frustration. But he was wrestling with, with this reality. Now, for anybody else, it would have been a suicide mission, but Jonah wasn't even concerned about a suicide mission. He was angry at these people. He didn't want them to experience God's grace. He wanted them to burn. Come on, anybody ever felt like that before? And so, so Jonah's like, man, Lord, I, I don't want to go to those people. One of the things I love about Jonah is Jonah knew the grace of God so deeply. He knew that if he went to Nineveh that these people would repent, that God would have mercy upon them. That's how much he was confident in the mercy and the grace of God. But, but it, it's amazing to me. Jonah said, nope, I, I don't want to go. And that's where we pick up in our text. In Jonah chapter 1, look what it says. It says this, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it. Because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away. Everybody say ran away. Ran, ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. Now, you got to see this on the map. Let, let me give you a, a visualization. The Lord was calling, the, Jonah was here down here in Joppa, in the Joppa area, and the Lord was calling him to go to Nineveh. So basically northeast. And, and Jonah said, nope, I'm going to go northwest as far away from Nineveh as possible. And I, I looked up modern-day Tarshish, and it's actually um, uh, a city they call Gale or, or Galley. It's, it's kind of a little, uh, almost like a little island to itself, but it's, it's beautiful waters. I thought, man, Jonah was trying to go on vacation. <laughs> but he was trying to get away from this reality. Come on, has anybody ever felt or you knew that what God was saying was true, but you just didn't think it was best? Maybe sometimes we know the right thing to do, but in it of ourselves, we still feel like how we are going to handle the situation is going to work best for everybody. I think we've all been in those moments. It's easy to judge Jonah, but many of us are running to Tarshish right now because God has been calling us in, in a variety of different ways. But the text continues, and, and he goes on, and, and look at what it says. It says that he went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship was threatened to break up. Interesting. Continue. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God. And they threw the cargo into the sea to try and lighten the ship. Can I just tell you that every decision we make costs something. And every bad decision we make costs somebody else something. See, sometimes we just think that, that our decisions and our sin don't affect other people and the way that we navigate. And we say things like, well, it's my life. Why does what I do, what does what I do have to do with you? And all these different excuses that we give. But our sin and our bad decisions dramatically affect 
others around us. And it says, but Jonah had gone below the deck. Not only is he going to Tarshish, he's just trying to just hide to the best of his ability. And it says, where he laid down and fell into a deep sleep. It's amazing to me how things can be blowing up all around us, yet we still find ourselves in a slumber. Like all havoc could be breaking loose around us. Storms and people are getting hurt and dysfunctional situations and we can find ourselves fast asleep, oblivious to, to, to that reality. It just blows my mind. It kind of reminds me of... of uh, you know, Jonah, like, like my kids sometimes try to hide under a blanket in the middle of the room and they're moving. But they think that I can't see them. And I think in, 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 in light of this, this whole text, it almost seems like Jonah is doing the same thing. Like he's trying to hide from the God of all creation. But this is what, what, what I really need you to know today. And I want you to, to, to take, if you're taking notes, I want you to jot this down. I got to tell you this, is that every decision is leading us in a direction. That every decision we make is leading us in a particular direction. And the question that I want to pose to you today is, is this. Is, are the decisions you're making today moving you closer to God or moving you further from him? You see, uh, up until this point, Jonah has been making some pretty bad decisions. And now he finds himself in a, in a storm. There, there's a crisis going on. And Jonah probably feels... Uh, as, as the sailors do, that this is, this is a game over moment. Jonah thinks this is a game over for my call of what God is calling me to do. The sailors feel like it's a game over moment. We're going to die. What's going on? It, things are getting real hectic. The storm is, is blazing. The wind is howling. And up until this point, we just see Jonah's poor decisions. But something starts to shift now. And Jonah starts to wake up to the reality of what's happening. And the first thing that we're going to learn from Jonah today, if you're taking notes, I want you to jot this down. What would Jonah say to us? Is he would say that we have to own our decisions, not deny them. We have to own our decisions, not deny them. We have to take responsibility. It's the first step. A lot of us, this is a very tough step because we have to wrestle through a lot of stuff, don't we? It's hard. It's not easy to, to own some things. But denial is very dangerous. Matter of fact, I, I like to say denial always leads to decay. Anybody ever, ever uh, hit your alarm clock over and over and over, the snooze button, when you're supposed to get up in the morning? It's like we deny the very reality that we need to get up. And then we crunch ourselves for time. And how that one decision can blow up the whole house. Is that not amazing to you? Like all of a sudden, everybody's stressed for time and trying to get stuff together. And everybody's yelling at each other because we're late. I mean, just one decision, one denial can start to blow everything up. There, there was a true story. CNN did a report on this family. Let me show you a picture of them. They, uh, this gentleman decided he wanted to hang his TV on the wall. And so he didn't know where to drill the hole. So he thought if I drop an alarm clock down the vent... And I set the alarm for, you know, five minutes. When it goes off, I'll hear it in the wall. And that's where I'll drill the hole and put my TV. Why would he do that? I don't know. But as he did it, he dropped it in the wall. And so they thought, okay, well, you know, as the alarm's going off every single night, they thought maybe after a couple of weeks the battery would die. 
13 years. I thought, is that a lithium battery? Like, what, what battery lasts 13 years? 13 years later, CNN comes and does a report. It finally erodes them to such a place where we got to cut this thing out of the wall. You think? You think? Like every night, beep, beep. And they said that people would come over and get scared because it, it's a progression alarm where it's kind of beep, 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 beep. It's like, what? It's like something going to blow up here? What is going on? Harassing their guests. And finally, after 13 years, they thought, Maybe it's time to take it out of the wall. But here's the reality. As easy as it is to judge them, we've, we hit proverbial snooze buttons every single day. Like there are alarms going off all around us. The Holy Spirit saying, you are making some bad decisions. And we have crises developing all around us. Alarms saying, wake up. Wake up. And we just hit snooze or we just leave it in the wall. We try to act like it's, it's not there. Maybe it'll go away in just a couple of weeks and then 13 years later, it's still there. And see, denial always leads to decay. Now, Jonah was experiencing this up to this point because as he began to, to, to run away from God, rather than owning his bad decision, rather than realizing what was happening, all of a sudden some things started to decay in his life. He he wasn't able to hear the voice of God like he used to. See, beforehand, the word of the Lord came to Jonah. Now we see uh, as Jonah's on the ship, God is not speaking to him through his word, but rather through his works, through the wind and the waves. The storm saying, Jonah, come on, man, wake up. I mean, you even got pagan sailors are trying to wake Jonah up. Hey, man, you're about to lose everything. We're about to lose. Jonah's like, oh. All of a sudden, the voice of God becomes very faint. It starts to decay in our life, and we can't hear him as clearly as we used to. What about Jonah's just spiritual fervor, right? His heart and compassion for people. All of a sudden, that starts to decay. He doesn't have the spiritual energy like he used to have anymore, and he's, he's sitting in the bottom of the boat. He's sleeping as the storm is raging around him, and, and people are saying, hey, listen, man, we're throwing cargo overboard. Man, our lives are being hurt and affected by your by what's happening, and Jonah knows what's going on, but he starts to lose his heart for people, for their safety, for their well-being. What about, man, serving them and coming alongside of them? Jonah starts to, to get cold. I, I, I think not only was it uh, a decay in hearing the voice of God or, or his spiritual fervor or energy, but, but, but I also, you know, I, I wonder how many valuable things were thrown overboard. I, I mean, I, as we look at the relationships in our life, I wonder how many storms are happening right now or have happened over the years as a result of our denial to own our decisions. Like, like I, I, what, 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 what valuable things have been thrown overboard in our life? What things that were unnecessary, that didn't, that things that did not have to be thrown overboard, things that should have never been abandoned, what things have been in chaos because we simply struggle to own our decisions? Jonah started to decay in his power, in, in, in the power of prayer. I mean, a pagan sailor is waking up Jonah later in the story. You can go back and read it for yourself. But he's saying, hey, Jonah... We've been praying to our gods all night. Jonah missed the prayer meeting, and now he's trying to wake up Jonah. Will you pray to your God? 
because ours aren't working. And here Jonah, the man that knows the one true God is asleep. And I thought, man, how interesting for Jonah to, to, to not only sleep during the prayer meeting, but also know the one true God and have no desire to cry out. Because see, Jonah knows that if he cries out to God, he has to deal with his decisions. Because Psalm 66 says, if I hide iniquity in my heart, the Lord, you will not hear my cry. And so Jonah doesn't want to deal with his decisions. So can I just tell you, you know that there's probably some erosion and some decay. You're probably making decisions that are moving you further away from God if your prayer life is greatly diminishing. And then Jonah, what about the message just, just decaying as, as, as um, decaying in his calling? Like he's a prophet with no message. God has given him a testimony and he has nothing to say. And so what ends up happening is they start to, to, to roll the dice, and finally they were trying to figure out who was responsible, and as the dice fell, everything pointed to Jonah, and Jonah started to wake up. He started to realize, man, maybe it's me. Maybe I'm the source. In fact, look what he says. He comes to his senses, and he says this. He says, I know that it's my fault that, you are, that this great storm has come upon you. He's starting to own stuff now. He's saying, man, I, I know that I've made some bad decisions, and now I'm out of the sleep. I'm out of the slumber, and let me just be real with you guys. I'm sorry you guys have been throwing cargo all night. I'm sorry you guys have been terrified. The truth of the matter is it's my fault. And all of a sudden, it's, it's in these moments that times of refreshing start to arise. It, it's, it's not the end, but it's the beginning of something brand new. I, I love what Proverbs says. Look what Proverbs says. Proverbs says it like this. It says that a man who refuses to admit his mistakes can never be successful. But if he confesses and forsakes them, he gets another chance. How many of you guys are grateful for second chances? But God said, listen, if you, can't, if you can't own your stuff, you'll never be successful. No matter how hard you try, no matter how much you think you will, you'll probably hurt a ton of people around you as you're making bad decisions because you refuse to own it. And God says you'll never be successful. I, I love what John Wooden, the, the coach, he says it like this. He says, you're never a failure until you start blaming someone else for your mistakes. And so, so Jonah is, is starting to come to his senses, and I want to encourage you this morning, ladies and gentlemen. Listen, God is a God of grace. God is a God of mercy. Listen, God is a holy God. But listen, his pursuit of you, he is pursuing Jonah as Jonah is running away saying, Jonah, listen, just own it, buddy, because I want to give you another shot. Don't let yourself or the enemy rob you from your pride, your stubbornness, or your rebellion so that you miss out on another chance. Don't do it. The, the second thing we learn from Jonah is this. The second thing is we have to run towards repentance, not reluctance. Repentance, not reluctance. We've, God has had me preach a lot on repentance this year. I don't know what's going on in this church, but... Um, God has just really led me to preach a lot on repentance, so I'm not going to beat this up. But repentance, the word in, in the Greek is metanoia. It, it means a change of mind. I, I love what Bruce Wilkerson said. Bruce Wilkerson said it like this. He said that, he says, repentance is when your mind is so deeply changed that it changes you. Like, like all of a sudden your eyes are, are, are on God and off of whatever that was that you had put in his place. 
And we have to begin to run towards repentance, not reluctance, but this is a challenge. This is where it starts to get really hard because repentance requires humility. And who wants to be humble? Like, who wants to admit they're wrong? It's hard because we have pride. We have insecurities working behind the scenes saying, you can't admit you're wrong. I mean, look, it's going to blow your whole reputation up. You can't, they're going to think this or they're going to think that. And fear starts to arise. And all of a sudden, it's so much easier when we're making bad decisions to run towards reluctance. I'm going to get around to it. Maybe later. I'm going to talk to them a long, maybe a year from now. I'm going to deal with it. No, 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 run towards repentance. And I know it's tough because it's vulnerable. It's vulnerable before God. Sometimes it's vulnerable before others. But, but I'm not going to uh, ask you to do something that I'm not doing. So I'm going to be vulnerable with you today. Is that cool? So uh, just in case you, you forgot, we're not a perfect church. There might be a perfect church down the street. You might want to check them out. We're not that church. Um, matter of fact, uh, if you've put, you know, any of me or the pastors here or any of our team on pedestals, we'd be happy to give you a saw at the end of service so you can cut that bad boy down because it's not real. So this week I was at Panda, had a kind of a long week, a lot of stuff going on, and I was, I was pretty tired. And Panda Express, I love Panda Express. I, you can judge me if you want to, but I love it. And, uh, and so I asked the, the, the gentleman in line, I said, hey, is it, is it cool if I have the broccoli but no beef because I like the sauce? And so he wasn't really too excited about that. <laughs> and so he kind of got a little bit of an attitude with me. Now, normally it's like, ah, I can brush that stuff off real easy. But all of a sudden it started to trigger something in me. I'm like, are you serious? I just want a couple pieces of broccoli. Well, you know, if I do that, then the other person might not be able to get broccoli because there's too much beef. And we were having this conversation, and the girl was like, I do this all the time. Just add more broccoli. And I was like, yeah, what she said. But I started to get irritated. And I started to snap back a little bit. And it, and it kind of sounded like this. Well, listen, if it's going to inconvenience your job, then why don't you just put it back? Ooh, pastor. Right? I got a, I got a lady standing behind me. Now, all of a sudden, storm. Not every storm. But some storms are not the wrath of God, but the grace of God. Jonah wasn't experiencing a storm of the wrath of God. Jonah was experiencing a storm of the grace of God. Because sometimes we need that tension to press us in and to say, young man, that's not my best for you. And so I started to feel the storm arise and I had an option between repentance or reluctance. Reluctance is so much easier. Except when you're a pastor, you're like, what if they come to my church? <laughs> no beef. <laughs> so true. And so I've been walking with the Lord long enough to know I know what I need to do. And so I ran after the lady in the parking lot who was standing behind me. She was driving away. I said, hey, hey, like a crazy guy. I said, listen. I'm so sorry that you had to witness that. She's like, what? Like, he was rude. I was like, no, you don't understand. Like, that's not representing Christ well. And I'm really, really sorry that I did that, right? And she's, she's just like, it's cool. And she just drives away, right? And then I go back inside, and, and it's like there's that awkwardness a little bit. And I'm like, listen, bro, I'm tired. I had a long day. I'm sorry. 
I should have never came at you like that. And, and, we, and he said, man, just my boss gets on me sometimes for doing those things. And all of a sudden, the, the story, you just never know what people are going through, what people are, are wrestling with. And, and, he, and he looked at me, and he said, man, and he's a young man. I just Sometimes I think like, like the younger kids, I, I got punked by a couple of girls in the parking lot the other day, like 18 years old, took my parking spot, and then had the nerve to say, at least you got a spot. I was like, what? So I think I've just been worked on this lately. And so he looks at me and he's like, man, thank you for apologizing. And, man, we dapped and, and, and we were good. And instantly, ladies and gentlemen, storm was relieved, right? Feel good, refreshed. I can sit down and enjoy my meal rather than like, man, I can't believe that little kid. And, and so, so Jonah, Jonah begins to repent and look, look. Look what, what, what he does. Now, Jonah's going to talk not so much about what to do, but, but how to, or what repentance is, but, but how do we repent? He's going to give us a sneak peek. Jonah said, I'm a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and dry land. Notice how you probably wouldn't correlate this with repentance, but Jonah's heart is shifting now. Notice how he's not talking about himself. All of a sudden, his eyes are shifting upward. His heart is shifting upward. You know, the, the sailors were down to repent, but, but they just really wanted out of the storm. See, see, we see two different paradigms here. The sailors were like, hey, listen, if you're a God, whatever your God could just get us out. Do we got to throw you over? What do we do with you, Jonah? We just want the storm to cease. And maybe you're here today and that's you. Maybe you're, you're interested in God. You're intrigued by God because you're in a place of tension, of storm, and you're just saying, I just need it to be relieved. Can I tell you that God is so happy that you're coming to him? But I want to encourage you that you might want to take a different approach. Because what Jonah does is he starts to get his eyes off of himself. See, real repentance, it doesn't simply focus on the problem or the mess at hand or even the sin. Real repentance starts to completely shift its focus. You're turning from one direction. There's a change of mind in such a way that it begins to change your heart because your focus is completely shifted. And Jonah starts to get his eyes off of the problem, off of the storm, even off of his mistakes, and gets his eyes on to God. Now, we see this pattern all throughout the narrative of Scripture. We see Peter being rebuked by the Apostle Paul for his racism. Peter started showing favoritism towards the Jews and kind of neglecting the Gentiles. And, and Paul didn't come up and say, hey, hey, Pete, man, you're making a bad name for us, bro. What's wrong with you, racist? Stop it. You're being ridiculous. No, no, no. All that stuff might have been true, but that's not, the, that's not where you start because that's not the issue. Paul looks at Peter and he says, Peter, you're not keeping in step with the gospel, man. In other words, shift your focus. Get your eyes off of this stuff. You've been redeemed from this stuff. God has saved you from this mess. Fix your focus, Pete. He doesn't criticize him because Paul knows if his focus gets back on God, transformation is going to start to happen. We see this in the Old Testament, uh, the, the sin of Achan. God uh, told the Israelites to go in and they were going to battle with the, the Canaanites. And after they... After they wiped them out, God said, don't take any of the spoils or the plunder for yourself. Or one guy saw a nice, you know, a nice piece of treasure in his mind, and he decided that he was going to bury it under his tent, and everything would be all good. Come on, denial. 
And so uh, all of a sudden, Israel went back out to battle, and they lost thousands of men. Couldn't understand why. Like, what happened, God? Long story short, Joshua catch wind in Joshua chapter 7 that uh, this man by the name, name of Achan was responsible. And Joshua doesn't say, hey, Achan, man, listen, kids are waking up without dads today because of you. Like, like there's going to be wives that are going to sleep without husbands because of your decision. Achan, you're, like, you're, you're watering down our leadership, man. People are, are going to look at us. They're not going to trust us anymore. What are, you, what are you doing? He doesn't say that. Look what Joshua does to him. Look what Joshua says. It says, then Joshua said to Achan, my son, give glory to the Lord, the God of Israel, and honor him. Before anything else, listen, Achan, you've stopped giving glory to God. God's not at the center of your life. That's why you're in a mess. So not just, hey, you're ridiculous, all that stuff. All that stuff was probably true, but that's not the place to start. If you're trying to get out of a storm, the place to start isn't, how do I get out of the storm? The place to start is start to fix your gaze upon God. Start to honor him and glorify him and get your eyes off of the issue. Now, you guys can all identify with this um, in a way where if I took this piece of paper right now, we have some chord charts on here, some, some lyrical content. And if I were to put this so close to my eye right now, right now I can see G sharp minor 7 and F sharp. And that's it. But as I start to pull it away, as I start to put these words in their proper place, which is to be a lot smaller than having them up close, all of a sudden I start to realize what, what it says. I start to... I'm a lot more coherent about what's on, on the, the paper. And so do you, do you see what Jonah's doing? Jonah's saying, hey, listen, I'm a Hebrew. Man, God has delivered me from this. God, I'm not a slave. I'm an ambassador for the living God. And then he says, man, the God of heavens and the earth. All of a sudden Jonah's like, man, it's almost humorous. Like, I, thought, I really thought I could hide from this guy. What am I doing? And all of a sudden, something starts to shift when we, when we see that our agenda, our goals, all of these things that are so important to us, our reputation, our fears, our insecurities, start to become smaller in their proper places. God begins to become larger. All of a sudden, we can see them with more co- coherency. And we're able to put them in their proper place. I had this um, happen to me uh, yesterday. I was on my way to Brentwood to do a funeral. And God always works the message in me before I work it out in here. And I was... I was driving, and I just, I just started to repent for a bunch of stuff. Like, God just started to bring these things that have been so big to me that God said, man, look at me again. And all of a sudden, instantly, those things just start to become smaller and smaller, and then a joy starts to arise again. You start to kind of laugh at yourself again, not taking yourself so seriously. You start to realize that, I really need you, Jesus. I'm really not as awesome as I think I am. You know, you start to, all of a sudden, things start to get in their proper perspective, and joy starts to come back. Life starts to start flowing through. You see, the storms that we face as a result of our bad decisions or just any storms have the potential to shipwreck you or, have, or also have the potential to make you more buoyant than you've ever been. But it's not the storm that shapes you. It's your response to God that changes everything. And if you would just respond to God and say, man, I'm just going to own it. I'm going to turn and repent. I'm not going to hold on to reluctance anymore. And I'm just going to go all in. All of a sudden, you start to float on that which 
should consume you. You start to walk on the very waters that should engulf you. As your gaze, like Peter, is fixed on Jesus, something begins to shift. The last one is this, is that we need to embrace God's grace. This is probably one of the hardest ones. I know a lot of people that are great at owning it and great at repenting. But believe it or not, sometimes it's hard to believe that God wants to extend his grace towards us, especially after we've made a ton of messes. Anybody ever experienced that? I had such a hard time receiving the grace of God in my life for a long time. Like if anybody would try to bless me with something, it was like I had such a hard time receiving it. Because it was like I I didn't feel worthy or I felt, man, God, could your grace really be that good? Or maybe something bad is going to happen after I get that. Maybe I just kind of lived in this constant state of disappointment. Because then I felt like I would never be let down. But God began to teach me little by little of how to embrace his grace. Because I don't think Jonah at this moment, I think Jonah felt like it was game over. Like he knew God, he knows God. But I mean, you got to imagine, we're on the other side. This, I mean, there's a major storm. And Jonah knows there's a storm because he's on the boat. But Jonah finally reconciles and just says, you know what? I'm going to tell you how this storm's going to stop, guys. And look what he says. He says, you got to pick me up and throw me into the sea. And it will become calm. I mean, imagine this is a guy that's running to try to save his life, to try to do his way, to try to make things happen the way he wants. And now he's like, you got to throw me. And, and they even feel kind of bad. They're like, well, we don't want to do that. So they try to row and, uh, you know, to shore and it's not working. You can't row against God. And, and finally they say, well, sorry, bro. <sighs> we got to get this storm rectified. And here under that water, Jonah experienced a love and a grace. And as he was plunged into the depth of the storm, he experienced a provision that he probably never thought was going to be there. God provided a massive fish to swallow that man and spare his life. Now, what's incredible to me is the Lord knows the decisions that we're going to make. And if we're willing to turn, he always has a provision. There's always a provision of grace. And so Jonah, I don't think Jonah expected this. I think he expected to die. And I think a lot of times as God is calling us to surrender, when God is calling us to obey him when it's dark, God, if I, if I own this, if I repent, I might lose my reputation. I might lose credibility. I might lose this or lose that. This might take every, this might destroy everything. When it looks like obedience is going to lead you towards death and you, and, and you still plunge into that darkness, into that obedience, I promise you, like Jonah, you will experience a provision that you would have never, ever expected. A love, a grace. Listen, when you stop fighting for your own joy and start surrendering your means of trying to gain this and gain that, if you would just go all in, you'll experience a provision like Jonah. We see this with Jesus, right? Jesus submitted himself to the Father and then the cross. No one thought he was going to rebound after that. How do you rebound after the cross? His own disciples, nobody believed that. But as he was, listen, as he submitted to the Father and what everybody thought was going to be death ended up glorifying him and saving humanity. So listen, it's hard, it's so hard 
to say, throw me in. Because all of us want to try to hold on to the ship. But if we would just allow and trust God in the dark, we'll experience something that we would have never, ever imagined. But this is what I need you to But in taking notes, jot this down. Is that many times God's provision doesn't come in ways that we think, but in ways that we need. Like the storm that you're facing right now, is it from the devil? Or is it a result of some bad decision and God is saying, wake up. Wake up. You see, every storm, every set of tension, when we're making bad decisions and we find all these things happening around us, God's going to provide. All of these storms are simply this. Are you ready for this? It's simply just an invitation to trust him again and experience another try. Experience a second chance. Because that's exactly what Jonah got. And I love in chapter 2, it says, then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. So listen, what am I saying today? If you need to own some things, just do it. Trust me. Life's going to start to come back. People are going to respect you a whole lot more too. You think they respect you when you're holding on to it. People are going to identify with your weaknesses far more than your strengths. They're going to see that you're human. Run towards repentance. I know it's tough. But reluctance is tougher. Don't do it. And embrace the grace of God. If you feel like you've, <laughs> you've done way too much, there's no way. Listen, God's grace. You can't outbeat God's grace. You know, it's so funny. Uh, can, I, can I hit you with one last one and I'm done? This is a tough one. So just kind of bear with me. For your first time guest, you don't have to listen to me on this one. But listen, if we feel like our sin is greater than God's grace, then what we said is the cross was useless. The cross is spanned. is enough to cover your sin. I promise you that.